everyone. Welcome to Group Text, one of our favorite topics. Let's talk about sex. My guest today is Liz Goldwyn, a writer, an artist, a filmmaker, and founder of The Sex Ed, an online platform and podcast, not just a platform, devoted to all things sex, health, and consciousness. So get your giggles out now because we're going to be talking about Liz's new book aptly titled Sex, Health, and Consciousness, which is an honest and upfront, I got to read this, exploration of the sexual being that lives inside all of us. Honestly, it is downright fascinating. Please welcome Liz Goldwyn. Hi, Liz. Thank you. Should we get our giggles out of the way first? Because I find that whenever I talk about this subject, it doesn't matter what like what age group or what level of experience. Everybody has a little bit of like nervous laughter. Of course. <laughs> Starting with you. I'm glad that the author is like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to break the ice. That's like our whole site, the sex ed. We use a lot of animations because it's funnier. Like, for example, if you're talking about erectile dysfunction or ejaculatory disorder, to see an illustration of a toothpaste tube that says jizz on it, which is like coming out all over the place in like awkward areas, it just makes you like, it's, we all have so much shame and fear around this subject, but really, it's the, totally normal and natural. With the animation, I visioned a little penis going, with a little unhappy face. Um, well, we try to stay G-rated. You uh, know. Well, yeah. then we're done with this interview. Um, okay, I have not learned so much new information about sex since I like snuck a peek at the joy of sex at 12. Um, how did you decide to, to, to get into this? I've literally been into this subject as long as I can remember. Um, I used to steal my dad's Playboy magazines. I have four brothers and, you know, I was hyper aware of like that there was this thing porn that existed at a young age. And uh, I stole my dad's Playboy magazines when Madonna was on the cover because I was obsessed and I got in trouble. I write about it in the book. I got in trouble from for stealing it. Because, but nobody would talk to me about sex and nobody would talk to me about puberty, even though my parents were like supposedly liberal. And my mom was a very active member of Planned Parenthood. So my first job was actually working at Planned Parenthood in a clinic in Santa Monica, answering phones and organizing their media library. So some, from a very young age, I had sort of both extremes with my parents well, and, around sex. And brothers, and brothers. Yeah. And so I was always so curious about this mysterious word that everyone talked about in hushed tones, but wouldn't really tell me things like, you know, was it okay to masturbate? Was there a certain way you're supposed to masturbate? Was there an age when you're supposed to do it? What about sex? Um, and then I found myself because of Planned Parenthood in the position of advising a lot of other kids that were my age about things like, you know, can you get pregnant from anal sex or how to give a blowjob or what do you do with the UTI? And those were, I wasn't doing any of those things sexually at the time, but I had access to resources and information. So I kind of knew very early that it would be my mission one day to do something like this, oh to make God. this information accessible. You must have been very popular at teenage sleepovers with your girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> I was very popular at recess, definitely. <laughs> Lots of questions. <laughs> um, why are we so afraid about talking about sex? 
It's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Cause you know what? Most people don't realize that sex is ruling most of our decision-making process. Well, that's from how, but it is from how we decide to get dressed or do our makeup. So much of our life is based around attra- attracting someone else, um, validating ourselves through someone else finding us attractive. We don't learn at a young age to value our bodies, our worth, our desire. So we're constantly looking for external validation to, to feel that way. I mean, you know, you grew up in Hollywood too. It's the name of the game. Um, and so I think, you know, even now, like we see both on a cultural level and on a political level, how much sex and sexuality and reproductive health is, um, you know, in other people, it's like, we don't want to talk about it. We want to make all these rules around it, or we want to suppress it or make it shameful or taboo when it, again, it's just a very natural human expression. So your book ties sexuality to health and consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, if it, it, if you said that 20 years ago, you'd be like, all oh, woo-woo. Now, that sounds like, gee, that's fascinating. What do you mean? Yeah, so I, I was always confused why at the bookstore, the self-help or spirituality section was separated from sex because so much of the way we learn about sex comes from our religious or cultural upbringing. And I don't think that those things need to be mutually exclusive. We have, and I've interviewed lots of people on our podcast and on our site that are um, Muslim, um, rabbi, the rabbis, um, sex positive Christians. And I think actually like we really need to start to integrate our spirituality or our consciousness with our sexuality. We silo it. We cut off this part of ourselves that is actually so much more than just having penetrative sex with another person or even having an orgasm. Your sexual energy is your mana, your prana. I'm going to get woo-woo, right? Please do. Your mana. Yeah, your mana, your prana, your chi. It's your life force energy. It's your creative energy. So you don't need to be having penetrative sex or an orgasm with another person to feel like a sexually empowered person or to feel good about yourself. In fact, I think we should start in that place and we should start learning that early before we give all our power away to someone else. I, I'm just thinking about, I, I, I'm reflecting back to an article that my mother told me about. And this was as an adult that she read that she found fascinating about, quote unquote, the seven year itch. And it's biologically hardwired into men that after seven years, you've had all the children you're going to have with that mate and they're able at seven to you know, take care of themselves. I'm talking about cavemen. So you're saying though, so are we fighting biology in a strange way saying let's tie it to consciousness rather than, are are we fighting biology? Are we fighting thousands of years of evolution? I think that we have, I mean, well, uh, that's an interesting question. I think for one, humans are not, uh, monogamy is a choice. It's not, if we're talking about biology, it's not how we're wired. We're wired to mate with as many people as possible. And I don't think we should separate that into like man, woman, because I was married for, I was my ex-husband for 13 years. I definitely had a seven year itch. Let me tell you. I don't think that's something that, I don't think that's something that's like gender based. Um, But I think we make it, I think if you're monogamous, you're making that choice to make your life less complicated. 
but it is not, but that's what you're fighting against. You're actually fighting against this hardwired human urge to mate with as many people as possible. But as I go into my book, I talk about like a practice of masturbation or, you know, combining your breath with your orgasm. I think there's a lot of things that we, I don't think that most of us are having sex to our truest pleasure potential. Cause I've been in this space. This is my third book. I've been talking about the subject a long time, all over the place. We get, you know, emails to our site every single day. Most people who come to ask questions, they're not telling me that they're having the best sex of their lives and they're getting, you know, am I allowed to swear on this program? Oh, please. Okay. They're not getting fucked every which way to Sunday with multiple orgasms. They're coming to me with um, a lot of mostly shame, fear, trauma, and taboo. So I think we've got, that's what we really got to fight against is everything that's out there and re like finding our own relationship to our sexuality. How do you do that? Well, the cool thing is it's never too late to start. By the way, other than buying the book and going and listening to the podcast and seeing the the site. (laughs) Yes, but it's it's real. That's what the cool thing is that I like to tell people. Uh, You know, it's not like you're taking up a sport that you have to be, you know, 15 years old to, to like train at that level. Um, there's so much you can learn at any age, which is, which is so cool. Cause we're sexual beings from the moment we come onto this planet until we leave it. And obviously we don't get a lot of messages in the media about aging and desire, but you know, one of the cool things I go into the book about menopause, for example, for women is that libido tends to increase Why? whereas for men, because your hormones are actually shifting. So it's really, it's really fascinating. There are a lot of silver linings to, to aging, including like knowing who you are and knowing what you want. But I think what we do is we, we give up that spirit of exploration. We think like, oh, well, I just like this one thing and it's always worked for me, but you know, maybe it's not working anymore. And when you said the seven year itch, you know, the, the idea of like in love or lust only lasts between one and four years. So if you want to maintain that feeling, you're going to have to keep changing partners, you know, every one to four years. So sex is something that people don't realize you have to actually work out like you would your exercise practice or your diet or learning anything you want to get better at. You actually need to make time and be disciplined about improving that aspect of your life. And how do you, what would be someone's first step? Um, okay. Other well, than one like thing, conversing with your partner. I think, well, I think there's, I mean, there's so many first steps. So if you want to go, um, to someone who's in like, let's say you're in a long time partnership. Um, a lot of times people will say, well, we don't have time to have sex, the kids, this, that you need to send an iCal reminder for a hot makeout or a fuck. No, seriously, you do. Because I don't know. We need to retrain our brains. You're making time in your schedule for your workout. You're making time in your schedule to like go do your beauty stuff. But why would you not make that same priority with your sex life? It's not just good. People think sex happens like perfectly and mysteriously, like in the movies, and it's supposed to operate at that level forever. That's not realistic. You don't get better at something unless you put time and effort in. So I'd say that's one good step. I would say for any human being, no matter of your gender or your orientation, I think you know, a good exercise is going to sound super cringy to some people. Um, but I think you need to start looking at yourself naked and, you know, just by yourself in the mirror. I think you need to tune into how your genitals are feeling like right at this very moment. How are your genitals feeling? Are they 
sticky? Are they dry? Are they itchy? Are they numb? Are, is it, are they uncomfortable? Does me asking you that question make you uncomfortable? Because when do you actually tune in? You notice like, oh, my shoulders are up by my ears. My back is aching. My knee feels this way. But we don't actually pay attention to this part of our bodies unless we're in a gynecologist's office, which is like very clinical for maybe, you know, two minutes or, or getting a prostate exam or having sex. So we're like almost very, we're very disconnected from that part of our body. So I think that would be like, anyone should start there. Just like, notice how you're feeling. You, you know, you, you, to backtrack for a second, you said about sending an iCal remind, uh, reminder, and it, it made me think of something. Because when I was trying to get pregnant, we were doing the temperature and this and that, and then, 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 it becomes very yucky and goal oriented and, and, and those kind of things. Do you think women, especially women who are trying to get pregnant and going through IVF in the long term, it dampens your sexuality that you feel like a science project? I think it can definitely have an effect and it can also have a be stressful on the relationship. I interviewed this amazing woman, Dr. Carrie Wambach, who's one of the leading re reproductive specialists. She's in California. And we were talking about among her patients, the couples who have the less stress, least stress when they're coming to her for fertility treatments, everything um, are gay men. Because they don't uh, like, so, so the, when there's a lesbian couple, you've got two women that are like, you know, hormonal and, and stressed about it. Then you have a heterosexual couple and, you know, you know, you just outline what those sort of dynamics are. So the, it was very interesting to hear her perspective on it. Just like however many thousands of patients she sees and like what, how it does affect. Yeah. I do think in general, obviously when you're trying to have a baby, you're trying to have a baby, but in general, sh sex should not be goal-based. If you look at sex as like, I have to have an orgasm, it has to be a peak every time you're missing out on, I think slowing down is another tip I would give everyone. Whether that is you just got out of the shower in the bath and you want to put body lotion or oil on yourselves, like really eroticize yourself really eroticize your partner without like, I got to get this done because we only have 15 minutes and like the kids are going to wake up. So, you know, maybe in those 15 minutes, it is about making out or it's about stroking or it's about whatever it is that, you know, turns you on. doesn't need to lead to the buildup is so great. And that's what people miss about the early stages of a sexual relationship is right. that anticipation. You, you bring up masturbation and it seems like it's a hot topic. I mean, if you go on Goop, there's 17 products. Like you can't pick up a women's magazine or read anything without being like, here's the latest and greatest product. What are people doing right and doing wrong with masturbation? Um, well, I don't like to, I don't like to say outside of like some hard nose that people are doing anything wrong when it comes to the subject matter. What so, could like, they be doing better? I think like 
I, re- I love to buy vibrators for people. I love to buy vibrators for people, especially if they've never had one before. That's a hell of love- a hostess gift when you go to dinner or through the holiday. You know what? I've Nobody's ever been unhappy with, the, with that <laughs> gift. <laughs> but I recently was talking to a, a, a woman who has a 15-year-old daughter, and she was really worried because the daughter was saying things like, I just really want to get fucked. And, um, you know, she was worried that she would sort of have her heart breaking by some fuck boy. And I said, you need to buy her a vibrator. Like this is, we need to be giving, especially young women, the power to give, to get themselves off and to learn their bodies and learn how to pleasure themselves. Because so much of like sexual experimentation happens at an early, early teens in secret. We're not talking about it. And of course you're not thinking, you're so, you're like a lot of times we're insecure about our pleasure. So we don't learn these things until much later. So I think it's like a wonderful thing. Um, as soon as your kid, and obviously we know babies touch themselves, you start speaking to them about sex in an age appropriate manner, and you don't shame them for masturbating. You maybe say, um, maybe you don't want to do this in the living room in front of company. (laughs) This is a private thing for you to do. And, you know, when you're on your own, and for, but I think that like giving people the power and the permission to get themselves off, that would be like, I would institute that. Right. I'd get every, every household in America. Yeah. You know, for those of us that have teenage, who had teenage boys, the locked door meant do not enter. Um, but you bring up a 15 year old and this whole next generation. And I feel like they're ideas of sex are changing. It's a completely different view. I think starting even with relationships, they kind of like do group dates and you're just hanging out. And it's very much of of a mind shift. Is it good or bad? Or is it, you know, and we can go on and discuss things like, you know, internet dating and has it gotten too casual? But I really am fascinated about this whole new socializing dating dynamic because it really is a whole different sex dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I got. I think a lot of people are really um, discouraged by online dating. And what I like to say is that humans have not changed that much since the dawn of time. It is possible to meet people IRL if you literally put your phone down when you're in a public space and actually look up at other people or look at people in the eyes. I think people find that it's interesting because people will really bear, they think they're bearing their souls online, right? On social media, they're like telling thousands of strangers or millions of strangers, some of their most personal desires, but to actually say those things to anyone face-to-face freaks people out. So there's a desire for intimacy, but then there's a fear of intimacy, which is so, which is what's fascinating to me about online dating. And I think actually um, Gen Zers and millennials are having less sex than ever. That's what I was, um, that's what I've heard. And why? And- and well, in part due to the oversaturation, there's a lot of performance anxiety, particularly with porn that comes up for men. You know, I think we're doing men a disservice by not providing enough spaces for them to grow and evolve and have, you know, nurturing and understanding as they shift. We've been operating under a broken system like for, for centuries now. So I think it's cool that people are, you know, challenging that and breaking out of the box and asking all these questions because, you know, I know that the structures I grew up in, I, I definitely questioned from a young age. 
you know, is this right? Is this fair? Why is this this way? You know, and I think that the less that we talk about this subject, the more that sex exists in dark spaces and the more, you know, again, like violence and, um, and trauma we have around it, particularly if we're like, if people are watching porn as a way to learn, have sex, but then no conversation, no porn literacy skills around that. Cause you got a lot of like young people, for example, thinking, oh, well, I got to get into choking because I see it in porn and that's what the guys want or whatever, but there's no discussion about that. So they do something that's a high risk behavior without, for example, if you're going to choke someone you need to see what their face is doing because you don't want someone turning blue. So people are engaging in high risk behavior at like, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, thinking that it's what they have to do to make themselves desirable, you know, to another person or make themselves like masculine without any discussion around it, which I find like, it just doesn't make sense. That's well, first of all, and I'm not criticizing anyone who's into choking, but that scares the crap out of me. Yeah, it does. And I get lots of sex therapists that like, you know, ask me for advice to talk to their patients about it because exactly that it's their big trends in porn in particular that we didn't, that weren't, that didn't exist, you know, in the days of VHS, there were not as many subgenres of of porn, but it's the same way. Now we're just so inundated and oversaturated. It's like, it's exhausting. And I think that's one reason that people are having less sex because they're just sort of like wandering around shell-shocked by all of it. Um, And again, my point of view comes from having a son and it's very scary for young men out there about the fear of being accused of something. The fear of thinking that, you know, you're in a relationship with someone and there is consent and then the person, you know, maybe breaking up with the person. And I'm not saying I know this firsthand, but I'm just, this is always, you know, as a parent, this is what keeps me up at night and them getting pissed and then making an accusation. Is that scaring young men? I mean, I I would think it's terrifying. I mean, yeah, I think that there's a lot that we can do to better educate and support men and also as parents too. There's a great book by Bell Hooks called The Will to Change about loving and raising men that I, I recommend to everyone that's raising a boy or in a relationship with men in any way. Um, you know, I come from a total boys club myself, uh, just the way I grew up. And there were a lot of things that went down, went on that I, you know, I would have liked to have changed. And I'm realizing now that in, that I, a lot of it is like using softer language and including people in the dialogue, instead of saying you're an enemy, making people an ally as particular, because I do think men feel very attacked, um, right now. And so I think when people are attacked and defensive, they can't hear the stories of how maybe, you know, you and I have gone through our lives not walking down certain streets because we're afraid of being attacked or, you know, making very, making choices in our, in our life every day, because we're thinking about our sexuality and being in that place of like, of we're on defense. So I think we really need to, I think the pendulum has been swinging so wildly that we need to come to a place where we can have some equilibrium. And I, I do really think it starts with empathy, with having more empathy for each other and and dialogue. Right. And understanding that no means no, and people can change their mind halfway through. And again, having a, a good open line of communication with whomever you're being intimate with. 
Yeah, because people think talking about sex is not sexy, but it's so hot just to literally talk about what you want to do to your lover. I think it's hot to ask permission. Um, you know, and, and like you said, consent is an ongoing dialogue and also so much of experimenting when you're younger happens with drugs or alcohol involved. So you're not sober of mind. Right. But that gives you courage. That gives you courage. But if you want to talk about, you know, people who are having really, uh, wild sex, like in the fetish and kink space, there's actually so much discussion around everything before it happens. They're creating these safe containers to play. You know, and I think that there's a lot we can take, like a lot that like vanilla heteronormative sex can take from like bondage and fetish spaces conceptually, like these ideas of of communicating, of talking about your boundaries of, you know, where are your edges at? What can I put? What can we push? What can we not push? Mm-hmm. You, you, what do you need afterwards to like recalibrate? You, you brought up something that really piqued my interest, which is there are trends in porn Oh yeah. There's totally trends in porn. Like if you think back to the days when, I mean, I was like a kid, but so when I first saw porn, I was a kid. So it was like my, you know, I don't know which brother, but it was my, my brother's VHS tapes. Um, and now it's like, it's like, you know, ordering something on Amazon. Uh, it's super, it's super accessible. So it used to be really hard, um, to get porn and taboo. And there just weren't that many, genres. I went to the AVN convention, I think in 2012 or 11, I read about it in the book. So AVN is like the Oscars of porn. Yes. It is the, it is, it is the, it's Oscar weekend of porn. And it's this big convention and all the stars are there, all the toys, all the products, and they have this award show. And when I went to it, it was like a phone book. I mean, people complain about the Academy Awards being long. It was like a phone book. It was exhausting to just, you know, category after category of like, triple gangbang, like teen, <laughs> teen stepfather, whatever, whatever it is. And there's just so many. Cause it's like, it's, I mean, you could take it and, and put it on like TikTok or, or YouTube or anything. It's just this, like people are just, they want to produce content. What are the latest trends in porn? Um, I'd have to get back to you on that. I don't actually watch porn in my personal life. I, I look research at it a lot only. for research. research. Yeah, I look at it a lot for research. No, I have a large collection of erotica and I'm friends with a lot of adult stars. I just feel like I'm oversaturated. So it's like, I don't, I don't use it personally to get off, but I will say it's very interesting because I've worked, I've worked with Pornhub before and I find my porn is analytics. I totally get off on numbers. Like, and I can tell you that running a a, a tech company, that's, that's like 70% of what we do. And if I do a podcast with someone like a, you know, Hollywood actress versus a porn star, that porn star will have exponentially like, you know, tens of thousands of more downloads because their reach is bigger. So, you know, I think it's interesting that there's like consistent themes that stay that like are very taboo, like incest, et cetera, is a very, like, it's always been a top porn category, but like, again, we're promoting all these ideas in porn, which is now how most people learn at sex about sex, but we don't want to talk about the minutia of it outside of that. Right. So how are we ever supposed to like evolve? Yeah. The di- what is the difference, if you could easily explain it, the difference between erotica and porn? Because women like erotica and men tend to like porn. 
Not necessarily. In fact, the other women have really almost higher rates of watching like you porn, et cetera, than men do, especially like, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially younger women. I don't, I don't think a lot of these ideas are, I think maybe women were not given permission to watch porn. It was not considered acceptable, but I think that, you know, the floodgates are open. Um, you know, and also again, I don't think we can say that like all men like porn or like rough, rough sex right. or or like to see it that way. I mean, I think what's cool is that there are so many more outlets for like erotica or ethical porn or female ba- female film filmmaker based porn, like Erica Lust, who has a site called X Confessions or Bellissa which also is like more female centric porn. And then there's a lot of audio erotica, but that said, you know, I talked to a lot of people who are like, no, I just want to, I want it quick and dirty. I just want the streaming porn. Um, In the beginning, we talked about sex being taboo and especially with older people. I mean, my mom Mm -hmm. had a whole thing in her act about, old people having sex and she used to do a joke about how Viagra was the worst thing that happened to older women because everyone was so dry. They'd set themselves on fire. (laughs) Lube. (laughs) Do you find that the judgment around, again, you brought up earlier menopause and men getting older, um, that the people are more, is it easier for old, for adults meaning like over 50 to talk about sex and especially what goes on with men's bodies. And I mean, how do you broach these things? Yeah, I think we're all like culturally really uncomfortable with aging. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> why is everyone making like spending so much money on anti-aging products in one way or another? And so, you know, sex and our bodies becomes like a very big part of it. I, I was just doing a podcast with this mother and daughter and we were talking about like sex and aging. And this one of the daughter's friends was in the corner of the room, like 22 and just like, oh my God. And I was like, well, okay. So you think that after a certain age, you're just not going to want to have sex and your life's over. That sucks for you, girl, you better get with it. Because I, I personally think that sex improves. Like from the time I was 13, I was looking forward to being in my forties. And now that I'm in my forties, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to be wild in my sixties. I'm going to be having some like really crazy sex by then. Um, just because I think we are more, we don't care anymore what anybody thinks we can be more hopefully experimental. I think, you know, I think just, again, just like breaking the ice and talking about it. I mean, most of the answers to the questions I get come down to some form of communication. So speaking of family, I know this is a weird transition. Um, Okay. Now, I come from a a, a Hollywood family. You come from a crazy Hollywood family. Let me see if I've got this right. Okay. Your grandfather was Samuel Goldwyn, who was one of the founding fathers of American cinema. Your father was producer Samuel Goldwyn Jr. Your brother is actor-director Tony Goldwyn. And another brother, John Goldwyn, was a studio chief and producer. So the list goes on and on. Now, ironically, and I, I, I think this is actually really interesting. Maybe this is like in your DNA. Your grandfather, Samuel Goldwyn, was producing movies when the Hayes Code 
mm-hmm. came out, which was basically a list of rules of what you could show between men and women. You had to have one foot on the floor. You couldn't show this. You couldn't show that. And he famously said it wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. So oh, a verbal con- a verbal contract isn't worth the paper he's pr- it was printed, printed on. on. That was a Goldwinism. Yeah. yeah. So do you think having to sort of break these taboos is in your DNA? Well, um, you know, I in my first book, Pretty Things, which is about the last generation of burlesque queens and the origins of striptease, I actually go into the Hayes Code in detail and a movie my grandfather made with uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper directed by Howard Hawks with a script by Billy Wilder called Ball of Fire. Uh-huh. And originally, uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character, Sugar Puss O'Shea, was supposed to be a burlesque queen and was actually inspired by my subject, Betty Rowland. Edith Head, the costume designer, and my grandfather, and I think Howard Hawks, went down in, in Los Angeles to see Betty perform, to see her strip. They ended up, Edith had literally ripped off her costume exactly, and I published them side by side in the book. And I also detail all the Hayes Code Commission cuts to the script, to the wardrobe. Obviously, she couldn't be a burlesque queen. They wouldn't allow that. Like the navel of the costume need to come up three inches When I think about my family legacy and I think about my grandfather, I think more about him leaving the Warsaw ghetto at 12 and coming to America knowing no English and walking across British Columbia and becoming a glove maker and taking taking risks um, and doing things that everyone told him he couldn't do. Because definitely choosing this as a mission since I was a kid, it's been an uphill battle. I would say until like the last six years everyone was like, why do you care about old strippers? Why do you care about sex workers? Why do you care about the subject? Shut up, be pre- be a pretty girl on the lawn, you know, wanted me to fit into some role that I was always like fighting against. So I think when I think about the legacy, I go back to that spirit of him being like, I'm going to make, I'm going to like create my own system. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. He didn't know about the movie business. There was no movie business. So you've got that entrepreneurial spirit. I think I've got that spirit. And also like, if you tell me no, or that I can't, it just makes me want to do things that much more. And I came out of the womb, like born to like challenge things that I thought were unfair or unjust. Well, with four brothers, you had to come out (laughs) swinging. Liz Goldwyn, (laughs) everybody needs to pick up your book, multiple books. Everyone needs to listen to your podcast. Everybody needs to check out your website, plug them all, give everyone the exact information so I don't screw it up. Oh, you've done beautifully. Thank you. Um, and thank you for having me. You can find us at thesexed.com. You can listen to our podcast wherever you stream podcasts. It's The Sex Ed. You can buy the book and I narrate the audiobook too, wherever you buy books. And on social media, you can follow us on the, at The Sex Ed or me at Goldilocks G. Ms. Golden, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. Thank you. A Huda Media Production.